Hey everyone, welcome to A Beautiful Faith, where we give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. Hey, I like that that like beautiful is it like it like sandwiches that that whole sentence. Everything about that is great. It's a beautiful sandwich. It's a beautiful sentence sandwich. I love it. Um, Henry, we're here. Um, this is this is so strange um, and surreal, and I love it. Um, That's great. I mean, and it's also surreal that you said it's a beautiful sandwich instead of a beautiful burrito and then started talking about Chipotle. Oh, yeah, well, that's something that I normally, that's that's something that I normally <laughs> would do, but I'm trying, I'm trying a new, this new thing where I don't make everyone annoyed with how much I love Chipotle. And uh, we're, we'll see how it goes. It's clearly not lasting very long because yes, you have, but I, th- I think the effort is beautiful. You have, you have baggage. It seems um, <laughs> regarding my love for Chipotle because you brought it up. So I apologize for all the times that I've annoyed you with my, with my love for Chipotle. And, and it must be subconscious. Cause I didn't know I had a problem. It's just, you started talking about a sandwich and I kept thinking, well, shouldn't he talk about burrito? And then anyway, you know, <laughs> Oh, well, it is what it is. So this is, while this is not episode one, this is actually the first time we're sitting down and recording this, um, which is crazy to think about. Uh, so this is this is something that both of us have been looking forward to as we've been talking about it, and it's surreal to be here. And Henry, I am honored to have you co-hosting this with me. Um, this is really cool. Like I couldn't have asked for a better co-host and uh, a better yeah, friend to I- do this with. I'm really excited about it, especially since I normally listen to you on other podcasts and I have been on other podcasts with you, but to now get to do this pretty regularly is I'm is pretty stoked about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of the things I think that, you know, you and I are going to be doing on this show is um, we're going to be adding in ongoing kind of mini series esque within it, right? So there's a beautiful faith, the podcast, but then within that, um, every once in a while, you'll see an episode that has a that has a very s- specific theme to it, and that theme is is whatever the series is. And 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 every time that we start a new series, we'll reveal what it is, right? So today's is the first episode of our first mini series, <laughs> uh, which is um, the return to faith. And this is one. This is a series that you know, as we do episodes, and you know, we'll veer away from the return to faith somewhat. Um, but we just talk, we, we, we invite people on to share their story of what it looks like for them to return to a faith in Jesus, to, to return to a faith in God, or to really to kind of um, perhaps get through something where their, their faith may have radically transformed or, um, or was challenged and there was doubt that they had to work through, something like that, right? So, so one of those stories. And... I think one of our goals for each one of these stories is that we would hopefully spend less time talking about the negative stuff and more time talking about the positive part of that return journey. Right. So, right. Um, and not that we're ignoring that bad happens, but I guess we figure that that tends to get a lot of airtime. And so we're just really wanting to, and I don't think people, even when they share their stories mean for that to come across, but, but I do think painful experiences sometimes can overwhelm us. And that tends to be what, you know, because so many people ignore it, especially in faith communities, the negative that we go through, I think sometimes we feel like we need to overcompensate when we tell our stories so that people can resonate or understand, or at least acknowledge the pain we went through. And then we kind of bulldoze over the other things that were happening along with it that were actually beautiful. So, yeah, I think, and and in addition to that, I think there is, um, there's, in most testimonies, depending on when they give them as a, you know, along their journey, there's just more to tell about the negative stuff because more of it happened has happened than, you know, the return back to faith. They could have returned back to faith a month ago. So they've only have a month worth to tell where their whole testimony of this terrible stuff may have been five years long. Right. So there's literally more content (laughs) to tell or they feel like, oh, to get you to understand where I'm coming from, I need you to see how bad this is, or you know, I need to go into great detail. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think we overcompensate a lot. So, um, well, today, what better way to start that off than by starting with one of our stories? Um, trying to put our money where our mouth is. <laughs> mm, yes. Uh, but before we jump into that, um, Henry, what are your hopes for as as we 
as we share people's stories, right? What are your hopes for for that? What are your hopes for those kind for this kind of episode? Well, well, first of all, I'm just excited. You know, a lot of people there. There is a trend now, both in society and I think even in some circles of faith communities, the idea that people are realizing that we are driven by stories, and that we want to embrace those. So I'm excited. This is going to be a format where we get access to people's stories, and I think give better voice to that. Uh, than we have. But at the same time, I guess my excitement is realizing that our stories, and, and this might be just for the listener to understand kind of the, the faith community or, or the, the current faith background that you and I come from, uh, we have a certain understanding that our stories are playing out in the midst of a grander story. And so I think it'd be kind of exciting to not only go on journeys here with people in their stories, but to see where that intersects with the greater story and what that can mean for us as we continue in our story. And that's a lot of use of the word story, but it's all right. I, th- I feel like beautiful faith and story are going to be uh, very, <laughs> very much a ongoing or recurring rep uh, repetition. So it's okay. I'm okay with it. Um, it's just a reality of it. So today we're telling my story, uh, which means you guys are going to hear me talk a whole bunch today. Um, and this is, this is, I think the only part of this show where this gets any sort of denominational, because depending on someone's story, it kind of gets filtered through their context and their, their frame, their faith context. Right. And so, or their faith community. So it, it will be important to kind of set that context, but I think that's the only time that we'll get denominational. I think our goal here is to speak to the greater kind of Christian experience and narrative and this, this, this faith in Jesus, rather than sit here and talk about the different sects of Christianity that, that we use to separate. Right. And I think this would be a good point for disclaimer too, because I know my story is going to come up at some point as well. And, and like you said, because of certain contexts of our stories, there might be denominational specifics that come up. We might've grown up in one faith community and switched to another one or to several different ones or, or whatever not. And I think we should be clear to everyone that as part of this podcast, we want to we w- might discuss those things, and that might be the particular journey of the individual sharing the story. But we're not trying to make a judgment call on these faith communities or whatever place in faith or out of faith you find yourself at the moment in your own story. So, for example, um, and you know we'll we'll hear in your story, but even sneak peeking ahead to mine, I'm not in the same faith community now that I was when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure there'll come a point when I'm sharing that story, it could come across as, well, he probably thinks that other faith community was useless to him or it's horrible or people that are in it are dumb. And, and I want us to be clear, that's not what we're saying at all. This is our stories. This is the story of who we're listening to. And this might be where God needed to get them, but God may have you right where he needs you in whatever different community you might be in or in a lack of community that you might be in. So Yeah, I think that's a wonderful disclaimer, and I'm grateful that you've made it and that we've made it. Um, yeah, I think, I think if we focus on the denomination, we miss the, the, we miss the picture here. We're missing the forest for the trees at that point. So um, just wanted to be 100% upfront about that. I think it's really important that we do that as much as possible. Um, so I guess my story, uh, as, as we... Let's just, ju- let's just jump right in, I guess. Um, yeah. And after that disclaimer, we should probably ask what, where did you start yeah. with your faith journey? What's your background? I have a feeling this is going to embrace some sort of denominational history. Yep. It, well, I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously. Um, so I was born and raised Seventh-day Adventist. I was born in Orlando, Florida. Um, so Seventh-day Adventist is a denomination of Christianity that absolutely does believe in Jesus Christ. Um, he died for us. He rose again. And he is the reason that we are saved. Um, and the, the, the kind of biggest markers there is that we go to church on Saturday as the Sabbath. Um, we, we treat Saturday as the Sabbath. That's, that would be, because we don't have time to go into all the ways that's different. That's just, that's just a, a nice little frame of reference for, for people. Um, but my grandfather was actually a pastor. Um, I don't know who in my family was in ministry prior to him. So it doesn't go back that far. Um, but he was a pastor in Cuba. And when he moved over to the U.S., he and my grandmother were actually involved in planting what is, I'm pretty sure the largest Spanish church in our denomination in North America. Um, so that gives you some frame of mind for, for your frame of reference for how big or, or how involved in ministry my family has been and involved in faith that my family has been. So I grew up Seventh-day Adventist in a home with my, an older brother and older sister and 
my two parents and um, went to private denominational schools my entire life. And through high school, actually, it was, I was entering my senior year and my, you know, my senior year, I'm, I'm the, um, I'm the principal's kid. I am involved in campus ministries. I'm involved in the senior class play, um, as a, as the lead character, like the lead role in it. And the senior class play was a big deal for us because it was also a major fundraiser for our class trip. So it needed to be good basically. And please tell me your class trip was not to Disney world. It was not considering I'm from Orlando. No, 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 no. We went on a cruise. Um, turns out that if you're in Orlando, a cruise is much cheaper than going literally anywhere else because it's, <laughs> um, and, or it's much, it's not necessarily cheaper, but it's higher value. Um, so I was baptized when I was 13 or 14 and I was 14. I was baptized when I was 14 and just kind of sailed through faith and got involved. I was student, student association pastor for my private school and, you know, just like super involved in faith. But, and most of my friends were leaving faith at that point. Most of my friends were getting involved in whatever they wanted to get involved with. And so it was, um, that, that line started to separate a little bit more, but entering my senior year, like this is the year I'm supposed to be on top in high school. This is the year that everything's supposed to be great and wonderful as I have my close friends and I have my family. And, um, one night I'm coming back from, or I I just walk out of play practice to a phone call from my mom who is asking me why police are calling her. And so we, um, that ends up leading to police meeting her in her office. I had no idea why they were calling by the way. Um, just it's just so no one thinks I go out and commit crimes for fun, and my my police were trying to hunt me down. Um, yes, yeah, like oh no, they caught me. Yeah. <laughs> so my um my brother, my older brother meets meets them there as well, and their mid conversation, I can see them through the windows of my mom's office at the school, but I they don't see me, and so I wait until someone answers my call or my text, and my brother finally comes out to open the door for me, and his eyes are kind of red and puffy, like he's trying really hard to not cry. But, and my brother's very stoic. That's the closest to crying I think I've ever seen him. And um, I go in and my mom is standing there. Two cops are sitting, two plainclothes police officers are sitting on her, on her couch. And she proceeds to tell me, um, just straight, very, very straightforward. So, um, and just so everyone here knows, uh, not necessarily trigger warning, but warning, <laughs> heavy news coming, heavy news incoming here. Um so she puts her arms on um, on my shoulders and she just says, Ryan, I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to come out right out with it. Uh, your dad was found dead today. And um, he had, we didn't know this at the time, but he had had a heart attack and he was within a mile of my brother, my mom, and myself. Um, he was doing a security check behind the property of my high school. And when he was out there alone, he had a heart attack and was found by an 18-year-old who was on a four-wheeler. Um, back in that kind of, there's some wilderness property behind the school and, um, and he was pronounced dead on the scene. So that, that was September, or I mean, that was October of my senior year, October, um, five and 2010. So from there, um, actually, I, I just want to pause you right there if you don't mind for a yeah. minute. I mean, that, that's kind of a, I know I'm, I feel like I'm burying I, I the assume, lead. <laughs> well, well, I mean, well, not burying the lead, but I mean, no, no matter where that is on the continuum of the journey, that's got to be quite a pivotal emotional moment, if anything else, whether, whether the impact of faith or not, because there's actually several thoughts going through my mind, listening to your story at, at this point that I wonder how it impacts it. So I'm going to try and go in reverse. Okay. So you get called in, your mother tells you, I don't know how to tell you this, but your dad is dead. I, I'd just be curious to unpack that for a minute if you can, yeah. Uh, if if you don't mind, what this is going to sound callous, and I don't mean this like a you're judging which one was more important, but what was what was the role that your dad really played in the in your life and in your home? And I don't mean like was he an absent dad or something like that, but I mean you mentioned that, and, and I'm not sure which side of the family, but you mentioned that some of your family came from Cuba, yeah. And that from, was from ministry. That was my mom's side. That was my mom's side. Okay. That's, that's your mom's side. Okay. So, the, so I, I, that's kind of where I'm going. And I didn't know culturally is like your dad, kind of the main figure in your home that you all kind of rotated around or your mom's a principal. So is she kind of more the, gotcha. the lead figure that you guys, 
You see where I'm going yes. at here? I'm, try, I'm trying funny to figure is, out. This is the first time I've, I've had anyone um, ask that kind of question. Um, so way to go. Um, and, and to be clear, like I know I'm talking about it very nonchalantly. Grant, this A, this happened eight and a half years, almost nine years ago. But B, um, this is a podcast. I'm not trying to make everyone cry. So um, just just to be clear on that real quick. So I'm, I'm, I chose my tone very specifically. It's not that this is light stuff, but it's rather that I'm not out here to try and ruin everyone's day on their way to work. <laughs> um, so my dad and my mom both worked full time. And my dad was, so there was no real breadwinner. Both of them were the breadwinner. Um, I will say my dad did most of the cooking. He did all of the IT work around the house, like all the all the network setup, internet stuff, um, and all the kind of, you know, he did the yard work, which he loved doing. We didn't actually have chores for yard work because he loved going out there with headphones on and just doing his thing. Like that now, was his way this, of doing it. This is in the 90s, I'm going to assume, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So these are like the headphones that are about the size of like two shoe boxes on your head. Basically. Um, <laughs> And a, yeah, and he had a he would he would hold a he would have a, a CD player or a cassette tape thing in his um, Sony Walkman, baby. Yeah, Walkman, thank you. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I I will say this: uh, I was not up to that point. I was actually not very close with my parents, and part of that was because they worked full time. Um, I'd come home from school. My grandma was the one who would, who basically raised me. She retired when I was three months old. Picked me up, uh, picked me up from school every day. Uh, and would cook dinner, would bring snacks, you know, would hang out until my parents got home from work. And so now is this the, is this the grandma on your mom's side or your dad's mom's side? My, my family. Oh, so, yeah. you, so you've got the Hispanic yeah. kind of yes. home environment that, that not, not that that necessarily matters, but it is indicative. I know there's certain cultural yeah, so differences with that. So it's kind of a very matriarchal kind yeah, of and it's, approach to life. It's, isn't it? it's strange because the other side of that too, is I like, I'm very much, I am Cuban and I'm proud of that part of me, but very much still grew up traditional white American. Um, so, you know, not like we didn't have a big, huge family reunion or anything like that. Um, and a lot of the stereotypes that you would think um, I would fit or, or someone would fit. If you think of someone being Cuban, like I don't fit those, I don't speak Spanish. Um, there's a lot of Cuban dishes that I don't know the name to um, things like that. Um, I actually get the Cuban heritage of me denied by people because they think I'm not Cuban enough um, but like my mom, my family is from Cuba. It's just that because of the situation and context that I grew up in, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to embrace that part. It was just about kind of getting through life. And right um, now, now I know this sounds like I'm I'm going way off. So, but listeners, I am trying to go somewhere. So, so give me the benefit of the doubt for a minute here. So, your dad was obviously the Anglo side of the. Yeah. The, the family, right? So I, I'm, I'm just curious, again, because I, I would have a feeling this would impact somewhat on this news of, hey, your dad's dead. Was there, was there any resentment on your mom's side of the family that she had married an Anglo or that he was like different culturally? Nope. Or were they just like, oh man, we love him. He's like the son we never had kind of thing. Or that one. I don't know. Maybe they had sons or nope. but whatever. It was that one. Very much that one actually, because I, I actually remember when, when we told that the night that he died, we went to my grandmother's house at like three in the morning and woke her up and I'll forever respect my mom for this because she had to sit there and tell a 70 um, or 80 year old woman. Um, yeah. 82. I think she was or 83. Um, she had to sit there and tell her um, five times in a row that her husband had just had just died basically hours before. Because um, when you wake up an 80-year-old woman in the middle of the night, she's going to be kind of not delirious, but slow to kind of catch on and, and wake right. up. But she would have been livid if we had not done that. So um, yeah, we sat there for about an hour as my mom just kept having to tell her in Spanish, like, yeah, my husband died. And my, my grandma just wailed nonstop. Mm. Um, yeah, no, uh, everyone loved my, my dad as far as that's concerned. Like we had family issues, don't get me wrong. And my dad wasn't perfect. There are things that I uh, obviously wouldn't share in this context because I think that it's my dad's story, not mine. Um, and yes, right. it does impact me, but those are better left being what they are. Um, ultimately it doesn't change the fact that he was my dad and I loved him, but he was, he was a stoic guy. Like he, I, I will say, and I don't say this with negativity necessarily. I knew that he loved me, but I never, I don't recall him ever saying it to me. Um, and that's just not the kind of guy he was like, that's not the way he showed love. And right. um, so that's okay. But that's, that's, and so, and he taught me how to play racquetball. He taught me, um, he taught me all how to play all the sports that I basically played. He was with me when I bought my first BMX bike in seventh grade. And he took me to the event where I, where I, you know, 
um, fell in love with it and wanted to try it. He would wait in line for me um, as I got a hat signed by my favorite band at the time. And um, he would drop me off at all the concerts and shows I would go to in high school. And like, he was, I mean, he was, a, he was a big supporter, show up to my basketball games or baseball games in middle school. And like, he was super supportive. It's not, yeah, it's just that I wasn't close to them and that like they'd get home from work at six or seven, they'd be exhausted, would get in bed. Like there's not, and I had already eaten dinner because my grandma would cook it. So there's not like, right. you know, there's, there wasn't a lot of family dinner time. That was, that happened on Saturdays when we would eat lunch together after church. Um, or, or Friday evenings we would, we would eat together or even and Saturday nights, we'd go to Blockbuster, <laughs> um, rent, hey, a, Blockbuster. rent a movie, rent some games and have family movie night. So that's the kind of relationship that I had with him. So when he died, um, I, uh, I just kind of looked around the room and I just said, okay. I mean, I don't, there's no real response there. Like, what do you, what, what, what do I do? Do I flip a table? Do I? Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is it kind of a numbness? Yeah. Or? It's just, it's just, okay. It just doesn't hit. It could hits, but it doesn't hit. And, um, man, uh, about a, literally five days later we had to, um, or not even four days later, I had to put our family dog down. And Ugh. then a month later, a friend of mine died in a car accident. And, um, then a month after that, uh, we had just got, and then we got a new puppy. Uh, we had gotten a German shepherd from a friend. And then about two weeks after that, my mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, having never smoked a day in her life. Um, so now this, be- this within- begs a question. What? <laughs> I was going to say this, this begs another question and that obviously what you're saying is in a very condensed period of time, you're suffering a lot of loss. Yep. And you mentioned with your dad that you were kind of just looking around the room, like, should I flip a table? Should I, you know, weep? And obviously going into the room, you mentioned that you have your kind of your, your brother, older brother, that sounds like you took after your dad. He was kind of stoic. His eyes were a little puffy, but he's trying to, hold it together or at least could be perceived as doing that. And then your mom's trying to hold it together. And the police officers, I would assume are not like, you know, ancient Jewish whalers or anything. They're just sitting there, whatever. And, and so it sounds like you kind of weren't sure how to take that, but then you have in a short period after that, a dog goes, a good friend goes, and then there's the risk that your mom, as far as you knew at that point is about to go. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just curious, was that compounding? Like, how were how you yeah. processing so, that? Did you have any time in between these events to start feeling anything or was it just so one after the other, you just stayed numb the whole time? Yeah, it just became about getting stuff done. Honestly, like my life just became about getting through it. Um, it was very much a, there, there were times where I, and I very, very vividly remember these times where I would just start crying and I was totally fine though. Like I was, I'd just be sitting in class or sitting doing in my computer playing video games, whatever. And I would just like, I would be crying, but I'd be fine. And if it happened in class, like I don't like seeing people seeing me cry. And it's not because I, it's just, it's just an issue that I have. It's not, I think crying is a great thing. Just so we're like all hundred percent clear on that. I'm just not a crier. Um, typically I'm not a crier. Um, and they, but there were times where that would happen. If it happened in class, I'd just go to the bathroom and wait it out. But like, I'd be, I'd feel fine but my body would still be reacting. There were physiological reactions to this. Um, really what happened, honestly, the the biggest thing that happened here was like, it, it very much became about getting life done. Like someone had to do the yard work. Someone had to fix the IT stuff that was happening. You know, someone had to take care of um, helping my mom sort bills. Someone had to, we all stepped up in our own way and took care of things that needed to get done. And when my mom had got diagnosed with lung cancer, we had to give up the puppy because that takes way too much intensive training to raise correctly. And we just wouldn't have the time with chemo with rounds of chemo or rounds of radiation and the treatment for her. And yes, I was very much looking at graduating senior year as an orphan where my mom was supposed to at my graduation, hand me my diploma. And my dad was always the graduation photographer for my school. And he was supposed to take my picture as I shook her hand, as I shook my mom's hand and received a diploma from her. Um, and I was now, like, that was scary. That was a super scary thought. Um, yeah, I, I'm not trying to get too artistic in my mind, but was it, was it your mom that had to suggest to get rid of the puppy? No, I think we were all, I think we were all on the same page there. Um, my sister, okay. I think was the one that had the hardest time with it. And I, like, honestly, this is, this is, I, here's what happened because of everything I aired too much on the side of compartmentalizing. 
And I can, I have the ability now, and sometimes it's been a good thing, but for the most part, it, it is something that I have to be very aware of, but I have the ability to just not, not necessarily not care, but stop myself from engaging in something if I don't want to care about it to some extent. If it's something heavy enough, there's no way around it. But like, um, every year I leave school, you know, every, every year that I would leave school and college, um, I never cared about saying goodbye to people. I could just leave. Um, or if I'm at get together, same deal, like all the goodbyes and stuff, all the sentimental stuff. It's just not that, um, it just doesn't resonate with me the way that I feel like it probably should if I was an emotionally functionally healthy adult. Um, and it's, um, so, so that's been, that's been one of the things that, that it's done is, is kind of cause that. But the other thing it caused that is a wholly negative is that I actually have a little bit of anxiety, um, a little bit of panic in me. If my phone rings, or a text comes through that I'm not expecting, or someone I haven't talked to in a really long time sends me a text message. Um, I get, I have a fear that it's going to be something terrible, um, and mm. it's just the gut reaction when when so much of that happens in two months, and literally, literally two months. I mean, October five was when my dad died, and December six was when my mom was diagnosed with her. With the tumor was malignant, um, and December six is my dad's birthday, by the way. So how's that for rubbing salt on the wound? Um, so yeah, I, you know, two months, like it, it creates that kind of anxiety where you are afraid of every time your phone rings and it's something you're not expecting. And that's why if like, if I'm with you, if we're just hanging out somewhere and I get a phone call from someone that I haven't heard from in years or something, you know, I, there was no reason for them to be calling me. I'd be like, uh, hold on. I need to take this. Um, I will. I just can't, I can't not know what's going on at that point. I have to know if it's okay or not. And, um, so that like that's just a residual thing, but it gave me a at the end of the day though that gave me tenacity, um, mm. and I think that the one of the biggest lessons that I've learned from all of it is that faith was not, you know, I grew up, I was baptized at fourteen, but everything terrible happened to me when I was seventeen, and um, I think one of the one of the lessons that I learned that I had to learn or discover was that faith was not the answer to my problems, but faith was the key or was a tool for enduring my problems. That was, that Mm -hmm. was what it became because I would go to God and say, what the heck is going on here? And, um, one of the, one, what I realized was God sits alongside people when they're suffering. He doesn't necessarily seek to alleviate the suffering immediately. And I realized the other thing I realized was if I only believe in God, when things are good, can I really call it faith? Like, do I really believe in God? And, or am I just going to say he doesn't exist when the first bad thing happens to me, regardless of how bad that tragedy is. And so I decided to let God do whatever God was going to do. If he was going to bring good from this, then I was going to let him bring whatever good was going to come of it. And not that it happened for good, but that he could work something from it. There's a big difference there. (laughs) Right, and is th- is this a conclusion you came to in the midst of yeah, all of this? I would or is say, this something that you're saying you've learned on the other side of this story? Um, that was something that I learned pretty much in the midst of it. Um, I sat down probably January ish and was like, "All right, God, whatever you're going to do, I just need you to do it, and I'm just going to wait and see what happens." Um, it was just an opportunity for me to kind of put God, take Him at His word, basically, and see what was going to happen. And we did start seeing positive things happen. My mom drew first for a clinical, um, for a clinical trial for a new chemo drug. It was a pill that um, she would have to pay nothing for, and it targeted her very specific strain of lung cancer or type of lung cancer. So, um, and within two months or three months of starting it, she started it January one, and in the middle of March, um, I or beginning of March, I got a call from my sister who was at the doctor's office with my mom. And I was told that, um, my mom had been, or was put in a hunt or had, I don't know what the term is here. Um, but basically my mom was now in a hundred percent remission. The cancer was gone. Wow. Um, and this was very much a, I will say this. The one thing that this taught me was the importance of the role of a community, because it was for the people around me that allowed me to keep a sense of normalcy. That's what got me through it. Um, my, my play director, the play was literally the play that I was lead in was November seven. And most of my lines were dialogue were like long narrations because, um, I was telling the, the whole play is me telling a story of me growing up with this girl 
It was my neighbor's sister that I have a crush on. And so like the play is me narrating the story and then watching it play out as other actors come out and play a five-year-old version of us and a 10-year-old version of us, so-and-so, right? Um, and up until dress rehearsals, I was still reading my lines. Up through dress rehearsals, I was still reading my lines. And my, my play director was like, you sure? We have an understudy. Like, you don't have to do this. Like, you need time to grieve, whatever. Like, and I was like, no, like, you just need to let me do this. I promise you I will pull it off. And I did. I killed that play. <laughs> I don't even care if someone thinks I'm a terrible actor. I nailed or those that's lines. A poor timing for that. Yeah, pun. I thank you. Um, I, <laughs> um, I was, I just absolutely dominated that play and um, very proud of it. And, but I was thankful that my, my um, play director, who was one of my teachers gave me, um, gave me the opportunity to be normal. Um, my, my chaplain gave me the opportunity to like, she, she gave me a lighter load in my classes if I needed it. And it was this thing where if I couldn't bring my, get myself to do an assignment for whatever reason, whether it was time spent at the hospital or whatever, then she would be like, cool. Um, don't worry about it. Get it in, you know, next week, whatever. So she gave me time, but she, but she never assigned something to me and told me you have extra time. Um, and mm. so she let me, for me, that was, for me, that meant a lot. Um, I don't think that's the solution for everyone, but for me, that meant a lot. It was this idea that I could re as everything normal was gone and normal was that normal was being redefined. Um, this gave me the opportunity to cling to something basically. And I very much remember friends of mine sitting, we would go get uh, all you can eat wings at a local, um, sports bar every Monday night. And so a bunch of my friends, all of them basically drank at this point. And um, we were sitting at the table and one of them goes, hey man, I don't know, like, why don't you drink? <laughs> He's like, out of, out of everyone at this table, you have the most reason to drink and you're the only one who's not doing it. And um, like, why is that? And I just remember like answering him, like, I don't need to. Um, I feel like it's not going to help anything or change reality. And um, whether that was nihilistic of me to say or not <laughs> regarding alcohol, it just, it wasn't going to change reality for me. I had too much to do and I wasn't going to let anything kind of stop me. I was at school the day after my dad died. Wednesday morning, mm -hmm. I was at school and everyone looked at me like I was the craziest person in the world. And I may as well, may have well been, but um, it was, I needed the sense of normalcy. So, was faith like a part of the normalcy for you or like a, a pillar of kind of like a constant for you in a, in a period of turmoil or, or how were you viewing faith at that point other than just, or, or was it kind of like you said, you felt like you just needed to keep going with a lot of things. So was faith less a normalcy for you or was it something you had to keep normal for normalcy? No, it was honestly like this is, and this is, this is the most important thing about that time. Aside from that one time where I really kind of, um, really kind of decided what I did about God. Um, I didn't really interact with my faith um, almost at all at that point. Um, I basically, it was about getting through the day and I felt like my world was kind of falling down around me and I just had to keep going. And I felt like I didn't even have time for it. Like I didn't, it's not that I didn't have time for faith, but I didn't have time for the lifestyle that comes with it. So I would still go to church with people because I didn't want to be at home but at the end, of, like, because, you know, I'd sit at home and I'd think, oh, my dad's going to turn around the corner any moment now. And that was never going to happen. And um, so I would, I would seek the lifestyle stuff as just a sense of like, yeah, it's Saturday. This is what I do. Right. But there was no really, there was no extra Bible study that was happening here. There was no extra anything. If anything, it's not that I walked away from faith, but I kind of walked away from the substance behind the lifestyle. And um, still interacted with God, but it wasn't, it wasn't kind of along the same route or the same lines that I used to and very much became uh, less in your face about what I believed at that point. And it was just, I had to get through it. I, I don't know. I, I like, that does, I know that's not very eloquent, but at the time, like there was no other real, I just needed to get through today, every day. <laughs> it's all I needed. No, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. It's almost as if you had the need to keep it going to keep normal going since that's what happened before all of this. Yes. And um, eventually I did learn to accept, yeah, this isn't normal anymore. And this is where that, so this is where the faith really picks up. This is where faith enters back because 
I was facing now graduation. And while I still had my mom, um, my mom's cancer would come back two more times, once in her brain and once in her spine. She beat it both times. And um, one of the things I realized as I'm going to college is um, I don't have anyone to ask these questions to that I have, whether it's how do I buy a car or how do I, you know, how do I take out a loan? How do I, you know, what do I pack for college? That kind of thing, right? I didn't have my dad around to be like, hey, uh, what do you think of this, right? And I didn't have my mom because my mom was busy with her own stuff. <laughs> like, I, it's not that it's not that I didn't it's not that I didn't have her. I definitely did. And if I needed to ask her a question, I could have. And I know that you know she would tell me that even to this day. Um, my mom is one of the most selfless people that I could ever think of. And the, but I felt guilty asking her. I would mm-hmm. feel guilty, and you know, so I felt this need to just figure it out. And what that has resulted in is I grew up really fast from that point forward. And I became a very independent person and became the person. I became the person that I wished my dad could have been for me, which is the person that I felt other people could ask questions to and get the information they needed. Um, And if I didn't know the answer, then I could at least help people figure out how to get the answer. That was something that was incredibly important to me. And so I began, I began building my life, figuring out budgeting issues, figuring out how to keep a budget, figuring out all this stuff. And, and as dysfunctional as some of those decisions were, um, it was something I had, to, I had to look for father figures in my life and people I could look up to. I had to, um, and people I could ask questions to, but I didn't have that anymore. I had to realize like, I'm going to get married. My dad's not going to be there. Um, I'm going to have kids one day, potentially. My dad's not going to be there. I had to realize all of that and just go, I can dwell on this or I can get up and keep moving. And so that's what I decided to do. And so I, and, and that was the big thing with faith too. There's no excuses anymore. And there's no, like God has, every single time that something has happened, God has carried me through it. He hasn't made it, he hasn't necessarily made it go away, but he's carried me through it. And um, he carried my mom through it. Like I got to keep my mom. And I don't say that as like, it's as if it's some selective miracle. Like my mom was worthy of being saved, but my dad wasn't. Um, while I praise God for, um, while I praise God for saving my mom, I also praise the doctors, the medical researchers, and basically all of medical history for getting us to a point where that drug could save my mom. And so I, you know, it, it, it that may sound overly humanist. I don't know, but I, I'm very grateful for the people who dedicate their lives to saving others. And um, I just, I, but I realized like, all right, God, you've carried me through this and I want to, and I want to keep close to you here. And you've proven that you're going to walk with me through these things. And, and I don't have to be alone because ultimately if I didn't have an actual dad to talk to, I did have a father to talk to. And I knew that I could walk confidently if I knew if, if he was walking with me. And so I just kept, at that point, it became about moving forward, but now I had a renewed, now it wasn't to cling to normalcy. Now it was moving forward with a different kind of confidence that said, I'm sure that everything will be fine. I don't know how, and I don't know when, but I'm not overly concerned about that. It's just a matter of getting through this. And it's almost become to the point where at this point in my life at 26, I've learned that I, I, I see kind of bad days or heartbreak or any sort of tragedy if that happens to me, I see it like getting a cold where I can take medicine and reduce the symptoms of how I feel. But ultimately I've just got to ride it out because it will pass and I will feel normal again at some point, whatever new normal may look like. And so that's what I've, that's, that's what I've had to do. And, and that's what I've learned to do. And it's been something that has helped carry me through knowing with full confidence that God is going to walk with me through this and will get me to the other side of it. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So, so it, it, it kind of morphed into a, a, definitely a hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say that if anything, I do have a hopeful faith and it's strange because I say that knowing that my dad didn't, or my dad wasn't like, I believe my dad will be in heaven. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, but my dad wasn't rescued. Like my dad didn't have the miracle. My mom did out of the two of them. So it, in, in any, in, in every form, people are like, wow, what a miracle that it happened for your mom. Like you must be so encouraged by that. And I go, the miracles aren't what make my faith. 
Because if so, I have just as much, if not more, evidence against God doing <laughs> the miracle, right? I lost so much before my mom got the miracle of, of, of her cancer going into remission. And then right. she would fight it two more times, like as if God can't fully get the job done. If, if for every reason the cynic in me, um, or my, the cynic in me has every reason to doubt God's ability to fix things. Yeah. But I don't, that's, that was what, that's what all that taught me was that God's not trying to fix things for me right now. And, um, but God is, there is a plan in place to fix things overall and to restore things. But for me, it was, it was a realization that, yeah, God isn't just this fixer that just magically takes care of the problems in my life. Rather, he's the person that journeys with me through it. He quite literally is, it, 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 it put new meaning to this idea that our friendships and our relationships do really reflect our relationship with God. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, your husband, your wife, your friends, they're the people that, that, that walk with you through, thing, through life. And it's the same way. In a relationship with God, you are walking with God through life. And that was something that was incredibly encouraging to me, knowing that I could have hope that there is a, a there, there is an, another end to this. There, or there is an end to whatever I'm facing. Yeah. So, so faith has really meant the most for you and, and, and knowing that this isn't the end, but there will be an end. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that end will be okay, whatever okay needs to look like. I think I got really good at accepting a new normal. Um, and just mm-hmm. accepting that the way that things were is no longer how they are. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that, that was something supremely important to me. And yes, I err too much on the side of being able to just not be sentimental. Like I don't decorate anything. Like my apartment doesn't have any sort of pictures or anything hanging up. I, have a, I do have a couple things on a shelf, um, but I'm not super sentimental. And part of that was pragmatism because I moved a lot in and out of a dorm room. And I just hate packing and unpacking with every fiber of my being. But um, I, it, it became very much um, like, so there, there is this side of me that doesn't, um, that probably compartmentalizes too much or, or that doesn't, um, yeah, that doesn't feel enough. But overall, um, I'm very glad for this idea that, yeah, I can accept a new normal very well, it, which allows me to stay level-headed when things go wrong. I might stress out a bit, but, at the, but there's always this kind of larger pers- perspective in mind um, when there's a big tragedy that happens. I'm able to slow down and um, play support for someone else if I need to. And um, I don't know if part of that is me projecting and, and maybe doing things that maybe I wish at a subconscious level that others had done for me. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that it has been a supremely beneficial part of my life as far as when I need to support a friend or a girlfriend or a family member. Wow. Okay. And, and, and that's a good point as we start to try and uh, I think direct this towards more final thoughts, you know, you, you had mentioned prior in your story about your play director, teacher, instructor, whatnot, that she allowed you to be normal and things like that. Are there any examples that just really stick out in your mind of where people of faith were very beneficial to you through this or beneficial to you in the development of that, that faith journey? Um, yeah. Um, a supreme amount of them now necessarily I won't, I will say it didn't happen in the midst of everything because in the midst of everything, it was just kind of, no one knew what to do. And so it wasn't like there was no one that could help us really. Like no one really knew what to do. However, um, I told you that my dad cooked, right? Um, my dad was the cook in the family. My brother and I could cook at the time, could cook okay. But like my dad was the one that did Thanksgiving meal. My dad died in October. We were already going to face the first holiday um, where it was a big thing where my dad would cook for six to eight hours, getting all the meals together. And he loved it. Uh, getting the meal together for us. And we were already not knowing what we were going to do. And there was a family, a very well-known family in, in, the, or in the community, the Adventist community that we grew up in, that um, she, the, the, the mother of the family, arranged for an entire Thanksgiving dinner to be brought to us, delivered it herself on Thanksgiving for us. Um, 
And it, wow. it was stuff like that, like little things like that, that just meant the world. Um, it was just it was really the stuffing to your meal. Uh, I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> Ah, I'm sorry. I, I just, no, I, just had to, I just had to well gobble played. up that opportunity. Uh, um, so it was, I can't stand you. Um, <laughs> and, and I think um, ultimately just finding the father figures that I have been able to find older men who've walked a journey before me and that could teach me stuff, learning how to ask questions. Like I learned very quickly to just start asking questions if I have a question or if I don't know something um, because I have nothing to lose. <laughs> And everything to gain by asking those questions when I have them. And so um, I would say that, the yeah, the people that I was able to find around me and, and their people, it's weird, but the father figures that I had uh, through college were, they're from my friends. They're older guys that are my friends, but I wouldn't like, if I told them they were a father figure to me now, they'd be like, that's weird. <laughs> they're my friends, but they were older guys who walked through life ahead of me that served as mentors to me. And that gave me a hope that I could, that I could overcome whatever I was dealing with. And like, that was huge to me. That was absolutely massive to me. And so there was, um, my old boss, he's actually my current boss. So, um, he's someone that was a big help for me as I was navigating a lot of new stuff as a student worker for him that involved a lot of traveling, um, and, and kind of, you know, leading other students. There was a professor that I got close to as well. There was, um, a pastor that would treat me to lunch every Monday while I was in college and we'd eat at Panda Express um, and, and, and eat together and, and, um, just talk about life and just the opportunities I had to, as well, the opportunities I was given to speak because talking about it and, and sharing my testimony with others, um, was another way to find hope in what had happened because it was able to serve. I was able to speak into an area and relate to people's lives in a way that there are in a way that many others can't. Because not only can I talk about the fact that I've lost a loved one unexpectedly, but also that I haven't lost a loved one unexpectedly. In other words, I was able to speak into the tension of what, what, what about when God basically partially answers a question <laughs> right, or answers, a, you know, mm. partially has the miracle. He saved one parent, but not the other, so to speak. And um, I think um, that helped me process things out loud in a way that I want, I'm not someone that likes to talk about his problems, but that gave me the opportunity to talk about my problems in a way that was also helping someone else. I didn't just feel like it was a woe is me. I was actually doing something with my life, literally doing something with the, with the content of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so that's obviously changed the trajectory of not only your life, but of faith to this point. So when, when you look at your faith, where you are on your faith journey today versus where you were then is, is there anything that jumps out at you as, as refined the same? Yeah. Um, very different. I would say very different. My faith is obviously looks different than it, than it used to um, for better or for worse. I haven't figured out a way to say this and maybe you, you might be able to, I'm going to explain this and let you kind of help me navigate it. Um, but this is the way that I say it typically. Um, I've taken a slightly more deistic approach to faith. <laughs> um, and here's what I mean by that. Um, I still believe that God is very intimately involved with his creation, right? I, in, in this entire episode, I've had this theme, you know, this entire story, I've had this theme of God walking with me through things, right? But the idea that God doesn't overstep in his meddling and everything, but he allows things to play out. And he allows a lot of things to play out and his hand is in it in ways that when I get to heaven, I'll see, I didn't even realize. Right. But as far as my, as far as I can tell what it's, what it's told me or what it's, what, what this whole thing has kind of taught me and, and given me the faith in is this faith in believing that, um, that God is transforming me, that God is giving me wisdom and discernment that God is, um, you know, putting these things that he wants to put in my life and so I need to have confidence in that. Like I think, um, so I don't pause in and and tell someone, you know, if someone offers me something big and I can clearly tell that like this is something that God would want me to do or this is something that aligns with what I think is God's will for my life, then I'm like, yeah, I don't need to spend a week praying about this, <laughs> right? Like let's do it. Um, it it's this idea of um, in the same way that I tell parents when they're sending their kids to college, I say, hey, look, your kid's stepping out of the boat. They're stepping out of home. Now is the time, not just for you to believe in your kids, but now is the time for you to believe in what you've done as a parent to get them to this point. 
And if you over, if you helicopter parent your child, if as they're going to college and leaving home, what you're saying is that you don't even believe in your own ability to parent your child, or you don't believe in, in what you've done to parent your child. And now granted, that's a loaded statement. There's a lot there and that's not true in every case, but I, I take a little bit of that attitude in, in God too. this idea of, if I do believe that God is transforming me, if I believe that, that God is making me who he wants me to become and molding me into to something new, right? Then I need to have faith in that. And that I, it, it is evidence that I believe in him to be able to, to, to be able to confidently say, yes, I believe that this is God's will for my life. And that doesn't mean I don't pray. It just means that I don't use prayer as an excuse to not have faith. And that is something that has been a huge thing for me because now I'm way bigger on helping people embrace who God is calling them to be rather than to pause and wait for him to show them. Um, it, it is something, you know, I think we become the person God is calling us to be, not just by God showing us, but by us experiencing life. And um, so it's very much, I do believe God is intimately involved, but I also think that like, this is why I don't pray before I take a test. Um, what I, it, to some extent, it almost feels like God's like, I'm asking God to cheat for me. <laughs> God, uh, <laughs> give me the answers to this test, right? Instead I'll pray, Hey God, can you, um, can you instill mercy and grace into the heart of my teacher as they, as they grade <laughs> this test? Like that's what it's become about. It's, it's very much changed the focus of what I do and, and, and how I, how I make decisions. And it's giving me, it's given me an appreciation for the role of the role that God allows people to play in his mission and, 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 and his, and his purpose in his world. And so it is something that, yeah, I, I tend to um, tr- try very much to empower people now as a result, because I believe that God is a God that empowers us to live life as he walks alongside us. Mm, wow. Wow. Well, first of all, first of all, thank you for, for, you know, laying this out here for sharing your story uh, because I'm sure there's many people that have, have been listening that have not only resonated with it, um, but I'm sure there's, there's certain things or certain answers or even certain questions that your stories brought about that, that I think can be very helpful to us as we continue our own journeys uh, in this way. And it's just, it's, we just are really thankful that you'd be willing to share it because I know that takes a lot of, a lot out of us to be that, transparent and introspective to do so. Oh yeah. No, this, this definitely got heavier as the conversation went on both in tone and like, I could feel it in the back of my throat. Like it definitely, um, like it's definitely when you, when you start really diving into it, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to do. Um, it, it, it can be difficult. So, um, but it's something that I think is very worthwhile to do. And I think it's important to interact with those emotions and not just like shove them aside as much as I am good at compartmentalizing things. Right. Right. Well, as I said, we're all, we definitely believe here that we're all on a continuing journey. Uh, that, that is definitely true. So any, any final thoughts yeah. um, that you would like to share? I mean, I know that's kind of, that's kind of weird to say final thoughts on your own story. No, uh, I think say. this will obviously be easier when we're, we're dealing with others, but in any final yeah. thoughts that you have through this experience of sharing or that you would want to make sure that people know coming away from this. Yeah. I think um, some of the biggest stories of a return to faith, um, I think my story is evidence of this, right? Because I, I, I wouldn't say that I ever left faith, but um, I think some of the biggest stories of returning to faith happen when you've never left faith to begin with, um, where you've either just become numb to it or you've, you've kind of taken it off for a few minutes as you try and get something done or a few months or whatever. Right. For me, this was something of, I kept, I put my head down and, and kept moving forward um, and just waited to, for God to show me what he was doing. And um, my story, I think is one that a lot of people have where um, your version of what happened to me, as far as my, the way I interacted with my faith is concerned your version of it could just be you've been getting up and going to work or going to school and coming home and going to sleep. And that's been it. Like you're just going through the day that that's the, that's very much the same way that I was interacting with my faith during that time. It was literally just, it, it, it was my version of the rat race. And um, I would say, you know, op- open your eyes, ask God to open your eyes, whatever. Um, but start looking for the things that are happening uh, around you that God's hand is in, 
Um, it's the same thing that people say when when uh, tragedies happen. They say, don't don't look for the villains, look for the heroes in the tragedy. Uh, look for the heroes in your day. Look for those heroic moments that happen um, where God is doing something. And you'll know because it'll be consistent with what you know of God, what you know to be true of God. If this God is this kind, but just God that empowers people and that uses broken people to accomplish his perfect plan, right? Then you'll, you'll know when you see that happening in front of you. And so open up your eyes and, and, and look around and surround yourself with people that can encourage you on your journey and that will walk with you through it without judgment. My friends, they let me be whatever I needed to be when I needed to be it. And even to this day, if I'm having a bad day about my dad, the eight years passed in October of 2018. And that was one of the hardest years since he's died. And my friends stuck right by me through it. They weren't like, wow, it's been eight years. Get over it. Um, they knew me, they loved me and they understood me through it. And so uh, like that, the most important thing you can do is look around and surround yourself with people that will love you the way that God loves you. Um, that is just incredibly important. Um, that I think that would be my final thoughts and two of the biggest things that helped me uh, carry through the numbness and the um, kind of the, the, the tragedy. Wow. So very, very powerful thoughts. So basically make sure that you have a community around you, people around you that help you look for God's appointment and apparent disappointment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by the way, that idea is not original to me. I had a teacher once that used to say that, and, and he would say that out of a study he did on the book of Daniel in the, in, in the first Testament of the Bible. And he used to say, this book's filled with a whole bunch of disappointments, but then he'd pull it back and go, but look at what God was actually doing in the midst of this. And he used to call it, look for God's appointment in the midst of disappointment. In the midst. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's, that's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you again, Ryan, for sharing this. Yeah, this is, and, this has been really cool. Um, and I know this is weird cause now we have to figure out how to end this when it's us. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Um, no, you take it away. Um, take it away. Spl guest split um, personality. Go. Um, yeah. No, this has been really cool. And I hope this serves as a good kind of template or not, not maybe not template. Maybe it's a lesson in what not to do as much as it is, what is to what we should do. Um, on this mini series, but I, I, I think both of us hope this is an encouragement for someone out there that this, you know, resonates with you, not just the bad stuff, but like the good stuff. That's what we care about. That's, that's not, not that we don't care about the bad stuff, but that's what we want to emphasize is the good stuff, the stuff that comes later. And if you're only in the bad stuff right now, there is no good yet. Um, keep moving forward. Keep walking. I love Psalm 23 in this image of, you know, this idea that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, the, of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Um, it, you know, it is something where if, if you are in the bad right now, I would encourage you to do exactly what, what Henry just referenced. And um, Henry, thank you for listening and asking the questions you did. You gave me some food for thought that I hadn't actually um, ever really considered. <laughs> so, um, no, I appreciate that. And I'm excited to have you. Um, I'm excited to have you on this entire podcast journey with me. This is really cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. And, and that brings the good point. We thank you all for listening because just like this story, uh, we're all still on a journey and we're thankful that you've decided to join in hopefully for the long term, on this journey as we not only figure out this podcast, but as we figure out um, the, the many ways that God is still working, that faith is still actually working in, in our world today. So that's just awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, um, or really any kind of podcatching app. Hopefully we'll get on Spotify here soon. And then if, um, if you do want to find, if you want to head out into the website and check out any other episodes or anything like that, head on over to, um, I haven't decided which one it's going to be yet. So check the show notes for this one, but it's either going to be abfpodcast.org or a beautifulfaith.org. It's going to be one or the other or both, depending on how much money I want to spend. So, um, because we haven't actually released the podcast yet at the time that we're recording this. So, um, check the show notes for any links as well as links to our social media, our contact info. If you want to connect with either Henry or myself, um, you are more than welcome to do that. We'd love to chat with you and, and, um, and just listen to your story or, um, you know, answer any questions you have and connect with you. But thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>